Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to another RAIB Roundup, the pseudo spin-off of Signals to Danger, where we look at current affairs in the world of railway safety and the work of the Rail Accident Investigation Branch. My name is Dan Fox and I'm the producer of the Signals to Danger podcast and a railwayman in my day-to-day life. So no new reports have been issued by the branch since our last RAIB update, so I'm going to take this time to provide a bit of an update on what we can expect to see from them in the near future, as well as a bit of an update on the Carmock crash, which we covered in, well, a three-part episode back last year. So this is still quite a new part of the podcast, quite a new concept, so I'm still playing around with what I want this to be. But again, as ever... Feedback is definitely required. I don't necessarily know if the haunting tones that I choose for our normal episodes to intermingle with the stories is appropriate, but I'm still not entirely sure what sound I want for this episode. So I've gone for something of a, well, almost a morning news program feel this time round, but that's not to say that's going to remain going forwards. Anyway, rambling over, I think it's time for us to start this week's REIB Roundup. The way that the REIB works is by following a process which sits across every incident they investigate. When they're informed of when a reportable incident has taken place, they decide what steps to take next. And what makes an incident reportable to the REIB, I hear you ask. Well, that's something I'm going to save for part of the future roundup. I can't get through everything straight away, can I? But once the REIB has knowledge of the incident and has conducted some preliminary inquiries, they'll decide whether this particular incident requires a full formal investigation or whether it will be better dealt with by means of a safety digest. So when the branch finds that it's clear that the learning of a particular event has already been identified by a previous investigation or that the causes relate more to an operator or a body's compliance with existing rules, they might choose to publish a safety digest rather than carry out a full investigation. Um, It's almost akin to if an investigation will only, well, I guess if it'll only bring out the same recommendations, then maybe that's something that might lie better with a safety digest, but the really serious ones invariably end up with a full investigation. 
So when we look at the current investigations page on the REIB website, we can see four different statuses listed. And I'll just run through them quickly for you. The dead easy one is investigating. And that means a full investigation is currently underway. Safety digest is another one. And that means that the branch elected to produce a digest of that incident. And that means that that is in the process of being completed. The last two are consulting or complete. Consulting means that the report is more or less finished, but that a copy of it has been circulated to relevant bodies to respond to. So that might be the talks, the train operating companies, network rail or other operators, other businesses. But the last category complete means that that report is done and dusted, but it's not yet published. That covers times when the REIB is working on a joint investigation with another national investigating body as part of their investigation. So that might mean that the REIB's bit is done and dusted, but the final report isn't being published yet. So if we look at it at present, as of today, of the 19th of September, which is when I looked at the list, there are 15 investigations in process. Two of them are safety digests. 11 of them are active investigations, and there are two reports in consultation. So while the railway is safe, don't make the mistake of thinking things aren't taking place out there. And that's something I do keep trying to draw out of this podcast is saying that just because we're not having, well, many big crashes, don't think that there aren't incidents taking place that are worthy of a full, frank and detailed investigation. In fact, the robust process and investigation of the RAIB, that is a massive part of why that safe reputation exists. So let's get into it. Okie dokie, let's start with the two safety digests. Might be a nice quick section this one though, I imagine, so let's get cracking. First of these, that relates to overspeeding, which are taking place during emergency speed restrictions on the 11th and 12th of June this year. So on the 11th, a 20 mile an hour hot weather related speed restriction, an emergency speed restriction, that had been imposed at Wood Green Junction near Alexandra Palace Station in North London. By the end of the day, three trains, while operating in passenger service, had reported passing over that restriction while travelling at far greater than the restricted speed. And on the 12th, a 20 mile an hour hot weather related emergency speed restriction, that is a bit of a mouthful, had been imposed at Melton Lane level crossing and that's between Brough and Ferriby stations on the line between Leeds and Hull. Sort of almost my neck of the woods at that point. By the end of that day, two trains operating in passenger service had been reported as passing over the restriction while travelling at a far greater speed than the restriction instructed them to. So what's a hot weather speed restriction? Well, they're put in place to protect trains from the fact that equipment and rails don't always react well to heat. Restrictions are put in place to ensure that the running speed over that infrastructure is reduced in order to prevent bad things happening. And because of this, it's really important that they are adhered to. So that's what that safety digest is going to cover. A quick rundown of that. Um, the incidents, the circumstances surrounding it, and any learnings that have already been identified that should help cover that. The second digest, funnily enough, is going also to relate to another overspeeding incident, but this time through a blanket emergency speed restriction. Now, that's a speed restriction that's generally placed on a wider area because of... Well, normally weather is a really good one for that, so 
heavy snow, heavy rain, heavy winds, you might blanket restrict the speed of trains to make them less vulnerable to the effects of that weather. We see it during storms um, quite often when we've got really high wind speeds, we'll slow down a whole area of railway so that those trains are more stable in that increased wind. So with this one, on the 15th of July 2023, two trains travelling between Stirling and Perth in Scotland, they exceeded the maximum permitted speed through a blanket emergency speed restriction between Blackford Signal Box and Gleneagle Station. That speed restriction had been imposed in response to forecasted extreme rainfall. So with many of the incidents we've seen in recent years linked to extreme weather, uh, including Carmont, uh, it will be interesting to see what falls out of this safety digest. But in any case, we should expect to see these published in the next few weeks. So with those out of the way, let's take a look at what falls into that category of being actively investigated. So at present, there is 11 ongoing investigations. So I'm going to split those up a little bit by the year that they took place. And indeed, they do go back to 2021. So we're going to start with the earliest and work our way back. And that also means that we're going to start with a freight train derailment. And that took place at London Gateway in 2021. So I'm going to start all of these by going through a brief sum up of what the event was as based on what's in the REIB's web pages uh, and go from there. So at about 5.45 on the 24th of December, so a nice Christmas Eve event, uh, in 2021, the 2235 GB rail freight operated service from Hams Hall near Birmingham to London Gateway derailed on the down Thames Haven line. That was on the approach to London Gateway port. A quick rundown of the event, as identified by the preliminary inquiries of the branch, is that the freight train involved was a Class 66 local with 33 wagon, 33 freight wagons, all of which a container flat type. So for carrying intermodal freight containers. The initial derailment occurred on network rail managed infrastructure when the leading bogey of the 12th wagon derailed on plain line, which is always something of concern, at about 13 miles an hour. The train continued travelling for about 500 metres after this initial derailment before it reached a set of facing points within the port boundary. At that point, a further four wagons derailed. The wagon that was involved in that initial derailment was the middle wagon of a Eco Freight 2 set. Um, this is three wagons semi-permanently connected together. I really struggle with that sentence. I'm even going to start it again, but I'm not going to delete it because you need to see how the magic happens. It's three wagons semi-permanently connected together by steel drawbars. So you would connect and disconnect these three wagons as almost one unit. It's a, a little multiple unit like you might find in passenger services, but designed for carrying freight wagons. So the wagon that was involved in the initial derailment was the only one in the train that wasn't loaded already with a container. So there were no injuries caused as part of this incident, um, which is great, but extensive damage was caused to track and signalling equipment inside the port boundary. So the rail connection to the port, that actually remained closed until temporary repairs allowed it to open up again on the 4th of January. So quite a prolonged period of closure. So with all of these, what I'm going to do next is look at what the REIB investigation is looking to achieve. The branch tells us that it's going to seek to identify the sequence of events that led to the accident, including consideration of the status of the track conditions, the loading of the wagons, the handling characteristics of the wagons, uh, the way that the train was driven, and you're going to hear this phrase a lot, 
any underlying management factors. It does tell us that we can expect publication in the summer, although the page I was reading this from was published in January of last year, so I'm not entirely sure when that report's actually going to drop out. Moving on to the next investigation, and this one is an interesting one. It relates to an incident where a pedestrian was struck by a train at Lady Howard Foot Crossing in Surrey. About 1449 on the 21st of April 2022, a pedestrian was stuck and fatally injured by an out-of-service passenger train at um, a footpath and bridleway cross- crossing near Ashton in Surrey. The pedestrian was walking on the crossing with a dog, pushing a wheeled trolley bag. She started to cross the train shortly after one train had passed. Then she was struck by a second train, which was travelling in the opposite direction. The driver involved in the train sounded in the accident sounded the train's horn, seeing her on the crossing. She responded by hurrying forwards towards the exit of the crossing, but was unable to get clear of the path of the train in time to avoid being struck. It's an interesting one because the RAIB actually published their report into this investigation on the 14th of February this year. So that's RAIB report 01-2023 if you want to go and read that. Since the RAIB's report was published, however, new evidence has been made available to the branch concerning the incident. So the Chief Inspector of Railway Accidents has concluded that this new evidence may be significant and that the RAIB's investigation into the accident should therefore be reopened and that's covered under the provisions of the Railways and Transport Safety Act of 2003. So now we wait to see what the revised findings tell us and how that differs from the initial report into the incident. The last report from 2022, which isn't currently in consultation, relates to a wrong side signalling failure. Now, wrong side failures are something as an industry we absolutely need to avoid. That describes a failure condition in a piece of signalling equipment that results in an unsafe state. So a typical example would be a signal showing a proceed aspect, so a green, when it should be showing a stop or a danger aspect. It's a false clear. um, We've all heard the phrase, fail safe, this is the railway equivalent of fail deadly. So what happened? Uh, Well, at about 7.02 on the 26th of October 2022, an empty coaching stock train was travelling on the down main line um, between Derby and Chesterfield on signals showing green proceed aspects when it unexpectedly encountered a signal in the South Wingfield area displaying a red danger aspect. So bear in mind, this is a train that was travelling along at 110 miles an hour on green signals and all of a sudden, bang, red aspect. Of course, he was unable to stop before the signal and he passed it by about 760 metres, so, you know, two-thirds of a mile. Um, well, two-thirds of a kilometre. I'm not going to do the maths in my head. The driver called the signaller straight away to report the incident. Following this, the signaller contacted the driver of the following passenger train um, on the line behind him, and not long after, that train had just departed from a station. So the signaller instructed the driver of the second train to re- proceed at a reduced speed because the train ahead of it had passed a signal at danger. So 7.19, not long after, that second train approached the signal that the first train had passed at danger. The interesting bit, the dangerous bit, that signal was now showing a yellow caution aspect. So the driver of the second train passed that signal at about 20 miles an hour, and at speed he could stop safely in the distance he could see. The driver of the following train saw the tail lights of the first train, which was stationary ahead of it. He brought his train to a controlled stop, with the trains coming to a stand about 75 metres apart from each other in the same signalling section. Very bad, shouldn't happen, clearly, no dispute there. 
The signal that was passed at Red had been disconnected and reconnected the previous night as part of planned track maintenance work, and evidence available to the branch told them that it had been placed back into service after the work with a fault. This is what caused the wrong side failure, with the signal's red and yellow aspects being displayed incorrectly, which arguably are two of the most important aspects that any signal can display, telling trains to stop and telling them to be careful. The branch initially planned to issue a safety digest in response to this, but during their investigations new information came to light, so they decided to produce a full investigation. And that investigation is seeking to identify again the sequence of events, but it'll also consider the roles, responsibility and competence management of any staff involved, uh, the factors that influence their actions and the testing processes following the overnight planned work. One thing that it will be interesting to see is what it finds when it also considers any underlying management factors, including the industry's response to two previous reports from 2017 and 18. So that's namely the Cardiff West Junction and Waterloo reports. Both of those, um, they cover the condition that assets were handed back to the operation following works. And actually the Waterloo report specifically was one that, well, it warned that we might be forgetting some of the lessons that we've previously paid for in blood. In fact, within the Waterloo report, the REIB told us that they expressed the concern that some of the lessons identified by the public inquiry chaired by Anthony Hidden QC following the Clapham Junction accident may be fading from the railway industry's collective memory, which is quite a, um, a prosy and poetic sentence to find in one of these reports, but it just conveys that feeling. The railway has this collective corporate memory, specifically around safety, and we cannot afford for things to fade from it. In any case, that closes out the outstanding reports from 2022, so that now takes us on to incidents that are being investigated from this year. So now into 2023, and if you hear a change in my voice, it's because I've just gotten to pick my wife from work and picked up some um, kebabs on the way back, and they were quite spicy, so my throat is struggling a little bit, but I'll try and get through this just for you guys. So the first investigation that's ongoing from 2023, that relates to a serious injury a passenger sustained while alighting from a train at Loughborough, a station, well, a place that my wife once heard referred to as Luga Baruga by a foreign visitor to our shores as I say almost every episode nowadays, isn't English fun. At around 11.49 on the 14th of January 2033, 2023, a passenger lost their footing and sustained a serious injury while alighting from a train at Loughborough Central Station on the Great Central Railway. The Great Central is a heritage railway, and this reminds us that the REIB remit doesn't just extend to the main line, it also covers heritage rail, light rail, metro and trans systems, as and when their involvement is required. Because it is a heritage line, as you might expect, the rolling stock involved was historic rolling stock, not modern vehicles on an up-to-date train. The accident occurred just after the train had stopped and as the passenger was alighting from the leading door of the train's leading coach. The train had stopped in a position that meant that door was actually adjacent to the ramp part of the platform, which isn't intended for public use. They lost their footing and sustained some injuries while they were stepping down from the coach and onto the platform ramp. So what will this investigation be considering? Obviously, the sequence of events, of course, but then also the actions of those people who were involved and anything that might have influenced them. The methods of working used when trains call at Loughborough Central, including the status of the platform train interface. 
the arrangements in place to manage and control those risks that are associated with passengers getting on and off trains, and of course any underlying management factors. We await to see the outcomes. As there will likely be learnings of relevance to other heritage railways or potentially mainline operators of heritage stock, such as the, you know, the rail tour market. The second 2023 incident under investigation, that's related to a train striking debris from a failed bridge wing um, on the wall of a, tr- of a bridge near to Yarton. It's of particular interest as failing infrastructure has been something that's been keenly noted and reported upon by the industry over the last few years, especially since Carmont. At around 1840 on the Friday the 10th of February 2023, the 1734 Great Western service from Paddington to Hereford struck some brick rubble on the single line at Yarton. It's between Oxford and Charlbury. This had fallen onto the track from a failed wing wall that was adjacent to the line and which formed part of a bridge carrying a local road over the railway. So if you think of a, a bridge with a road and the road's on a bit of an embankment, you've kind of got brick walls that line where the embankment is cut out for the train tracks to go through. Train was travelling at about 55 miles an hour when the collision occurred. Sustained damage, but didn't derail. Very scary, but thankfully, there were no injuries reported to the train crew or the passengers on the service. So, Network Rail initially reopened the line on the 12th, but it was actually closed again after a few hours and remained closed for a further nine days while the adjacent embankment was actually stabilised. So, speaking of stabilising embankments... What will the RAIB be digging into as part of this investigation? And I'm so sorry for that one. Clearly, they'll be looking at the history of the structure, including any modifications to the wing wall, any repair work undertaken, as well as the findings of routine inspections undertaken on the structure and the responses to what those inspections brought out. They'll also be looking into the report of cracking in the road approaching the structure on the adjacent embankment, which was made before the failure occurred. Next 2023 investigation, and there are a couple more of them, is one which is of interest to operators on the network. All operators, really, because it's relating to a concept called trap and drag. Trap and drag, that's when somebody gets themselves or a coat, bag, etc. caught in the door of the train and is dragged along by it when the train starts moving. Clearly terrifying and clearly very, very dangerous. At around 10 to 4 in the afternoon on the 18th of February 2023, a passenger's court became trapped in the doors of a northbound Northern Line train at Archway Station, so that's on the London Underground. As the train departed, the passenger was dragged for approximately two metres until their court came free from the door. The passenger and their companion both fell to the ground during the incident, and the passenger actually sustained a serious injury with the train only stopping after it travelled for around about 20 metres. But that's not all that this investigation will actually be covering because it's going to cover two separate incidents. Because at around 11pm on the 20th of April, a second passenger's court got trapped in the doors of a southbound Northern Line service. That was at Chalk Farm Station. This passenger was dragged for just under 20 metres until their court became free of the doors. They fell onto the platform during the incident and sustained minor injuries. That train didn't stop and continued on its journey. So this investigation, that's going to be considering the actions of those involved and anything that might have influenced them, which is a sentence you'll hear quite a lot, Um, as well as the arrangements in place to manage and control the risks associated with passengers boarding and alighting trains on the London Underground. Importantly, though, probably considering the time between these two very similar events, they're also going to be looking into London Underground's post-incident management of platform train interface accidents. 
So when they have a, a PTI incident, what is it that they do to review and move forwards? Right, that's that one done with. So from the underground railways of the capital, the next one brings us to the rural network of the north, specifically to Style Station in Cheshire, where at about half past three on Wednesday the 3rd of May in the afternoon, a passenger train operated by Northern departed from the station with five passenger doors open. So the train involved was a three-car Class 323 electric multiple unit, and immediately before the incident, this train had experienced technical difficulties where the driver was unable to release the brakes and take power. As a result of this, the control instructed the driver to isolate safety systems relating to the doors, and that would allow the train to move. Admittedly, with the doors open. The train travelled for approximately 10 seconds with the doors open, and once it reached 5 miles, well, 5 kilometres an hour, because the system was set up in kilometres, which is about 3.1 miles an hour, the safety system caused the open doors to automatically close. So no one was hurt in the incident, although some people were moving towards the train, and a passenger was standing in an open doorway when the train started to move. Probably very disconcerting for those on board, and it does raise some questions around you know, isolation of systems and mitigations that should be considered and extra things you need to pay attention to if you are isolating systems. In terms of what the REIB, though, what they've told us that the report's going to cover, there's one or two things in there that, like I said, you've probably noticed springing up quite often. So their list includes examining the actions of those involved and anything which may have influenced them, the arrangements put in place by Northern Trains to manage and control the risks of dispatch, and Northern Trains policies and procedures for managing technical issues on trains in service. They'll also be looking at the design and the function of the relevant safety systems on the train, and the final catch-all, any underlying management factors. Okie dokie, we are nearly there with 2023, there's just four left. So this next one, it's going to sound quite familiar if you tuned into the last roundup. It's an overspeeding incident at Spittle Junction, just north of Peterborough Station. Didn't we cover this last time when we discussed Lumo, I hear you cry? Nope, we didn't, because this relates to a different train altogether. At about 1pm on the 4th of May, 2023... The 954 Sunderland to King's Cross service operated by Grand Central passed over three sets of points at Spittle Junction on the northern approach to Peterborough Station at a speed of around 65 miles an hour, uh, with the maximum permitted speed over the junction being 30 and then 25 miles an hour. Same place, same situation, just a different train. Although this does highlight the importance of investigating every incident appropriately, it's also worth noting that this took place prior to the release of the LUMO report, Unsurprisingly, as we heard last time when we were talking about Lumo, the excessive speed over the points led to the train lurching sideways. A number of minor injuries sustained by passengers, with some being thrown from their seats. The train subsequently came to a stand at Preeper Station under emergency braking, it didn't derail, and inspections found that no damage was caused to the infrastructure or to the vehicles. Again, similar to the, uh, the, the Lumo incident, funnily enough. The train involved wasn't due to call at Peterborough, it had been approaching the station on a fast line before being routed onto a slower line via the points where the overspeed occurred. And this route was displayed by the junction signal situated on the approach to the points. Um, well, <laughs> the report into this incident, let's just say I'd be incredibly surprised if it didn't look an awful lot like the Lumo one, but we will wait to see what exactly comes out of it. 
The next incident that's under investigation is actually something I initially saw when I was browsing social media back in May. A frantic video of passengers on a tube train breaking the windows of the train to escape. Screaming, shouting, all that jazz. The phrase that the industry uses to describe this type of occurrence is to call it an uncontrolled evacuation. So it's an evacuation of a train where passengers are self-evacuating. There's no member of staff there controlling them, telling them what to do, how to do it safely. And this was an uncontrolled evacuation at Clapham Common Tube Station. So if we go back to 1743 on Friday the 5th of May, a northbound Northern Line train departing from Clapham Common was halted by the operation of a passenger emergency alarm. This alarm was operated after passengers within the train became aware of a burning smell. Train came to a stand with one car fully and another car partially inside the tunnel, and the remaining four cars remained in the platform. The doors of the train remained closed after it came to a stand. Within a short period of time, there's an uncontrolled evacuation of passengers. They exited the train via windows and the interconnecting doors between cars on the train. Luckily, with such chaos, there was no serious injury resulting from the evacuation, but at least one passenger reported cutting their hands when exiting the train. The LFB, London Fire Brigade, of course, attended the station following the incident and found no evidence that there had been a fire, and London Underground maintenance staff later determined that the probable cause of that burning smell was related to the train's braking system. So, with this investigation, what will the RAIB be considering? The answer is the LU, London Underground's procedures for incident response and management of out-of-course events, and this is an out-of-course event. There are arrangements in place to manage and control the risks of a suspected fire on a train and the design and maintenance of the braking system on the train itself. This is, of course, in addition to the fan favourites of the actions of those involved and anything which may have influenced them and any underlying management factors. The penultimate investigation from 2023 relates to a runaway freight wagon in Warwickshire. So at about 2110 on the 25th of May, an empty wagon... I'm going to put my teeth back in. That didn't go very well. We'll start again. At around 2110 on the 25th of May 2023, an empty wagon ran away from the exchange sidings at the Ministry of Defence's Kinnerton Munitions Depot in Warwickshire, which felt like an enormous mouthful, even though not many of the words in there were hard work. The wagon... There you go. The wagon. The wagon ran away for over one mile. In doing so, it passed over two farm crossings and, crucially, a level crossing on a public road. Then it came to a short a stand a short distance beyond the level crossing. Nobody was injured during the incident, although damage was caused to a gate in the yard. It's already been established that the wagon had been secured before it ran away, using the parking brake by staff working for Kuhn and Nagal, who were working under contract for the Ministry of Defence. But in addition to this, the RIB is going to ascertain the arrangements put in place by Kuhn and Nagal and the Ministry of Defence to control the risks of a vehicle running away as well as the design and maintenance of the braking system on the wagon. So now that brings us on to the final open investigation. That one takes us again off the mainline network and brings us, funnily enough, into the Nottingham Trams world. So this is about 5pm on the 12th of June. The southbound tram travelling at around 19 miles an hour threw me there because the trams have presumably got their speed in kilometres an hour because it's got that one first. So 19 miles an hour, and it derailed at a set of facing points on the approach to Bullwall Tram Stop on the NET network. The tram stuck an overhead line support pole, and the derailment caused significant damage to the tram and to the infrastructure of the tramway. Around 30 passengers on board at the time of the incident, and two people, including the tram driver, 
suffered minor injuries as a result of the accident. The investigation into this one's going to cover off the management of drivers working on NET. That includes the training and the competence, as well as status, maintenance and performance of the points and signaling equipment, which wraps up the open investigations, which we can expect to see reports coming from in the near future. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. So what of the last two reports which have yet to be released? These ones are in the consultation phase. That means they're almost ready to go. The first of these was the derailment of a freight train just outside Carlisle Station. Um, and it's probably one we might remember if we've seen it in the news because it caused all manner of havoc. At around 8pm on the 19th of October 2022, the 1715 Clitheroe to Carlisle Yard freight service derailed at Petrol Ridge Junction near Carlisle. Uh, the freight train was a Class 66, 14 loaded cement wagons. Nice and heavy vehicles. Five of the wagons derailed and one of them actually entered into the River Petrol. Thankfully, no injuries, but there was substantial damage to railway infrastructure and some of the vehicles involved. And like I said, substantial disruption because the passenger lines from Newcastle to Carlisle of the Tyne Valley line were blocked as a result of the accident. So no way of getting passenger trains through to all the communities sort of following the route of Hadrian's Wall along that very scenic, but difficult to replace in terms of connectivity route. Um, and also at a time when getting rail replacement vehicles was very, very challenging for the industry due to the sheer number of blockades that were taking place at the time. So it was quite a bit of work to get it all sorted and the recovery was not made any easier by the fact that one of the vehicles was a heavily loaded heavy cement wagon in a river in a place where cranes weren't going to find it particularly easy to reach. So that report is going to tell us about the sequence of events but also consideration of the track conditions, the condition of the wagons, uh, the status of the trains, braking systems, any underlying management factors. Interestingly though, and this is quite a rarity, the branch actually shared some detail in the ongoing investigation page, so their brief update to readers as to what's going on. They told us that all the currently available evidence actually indicates that the derailment was almost certainly the result of a wheel set with false flanges encountering a set of switches that are part of the junction. So false flanges, they're associated with the flat areas on wheel treads, um, which you can get when rail wheels stop rotating when a vehicle is running. So basically a wheel flat just grinds the wheel to have this flat edge. And that can get worn to a certain point where it almost starts to create a flange on the inside, not on the outside of the wheel. And that can really mess with A, the geometry of the wheel. But when you have pieces of infrastructure that are designed for the actual flange to pass through, but nothing else, it can cause a derailment. And to be honest with you, from my past experience of reading these reports, seeing the news updates, etc., etc., they really have to be pretty confident that that is what's gone on for them to put it in that 
early in the the process. So the last one, that's one we're going to be talking about from October 2021. Um, in fact, only a week or so after my wedding and I was away with my wife on our sort of mini moon um, with Mrs. Signals when this one took place. I remember seeing it in the news. It's probably one of the most significant occurrences in recent years and it was the collision between two moving passenger trains at Salisbury Tunnel Junction. Incredibly rare to get a collision between moving passenger trains, especially of late. So this is, it's a significant issue. So around quarter seven in the evening on the 31st of October 21, um, train reporting number one Lima 53, um, a service from London Waterloo to Honiton, collided with the side of a service from Portsmouth Harbour to Bristol Temple Meads. The collision took place at Salisbury Tunnel Junction, which is on the immediate approach to Fisherton Tunnel near Salisbury and Wiltshire. That junction allows the up and down Dean lines from Eastleigh to merge with the up and down main lines from Basingstoke. And at the time of the accident, one Foxtrot 30 was using the junction to join the down main line from the down Dean line, while one Lima 53 was approaching the junction from the down main line. Unfortunately, the junction on the down main line from the direction of Basingstoke. Probably one to go away and have a look at so you can understand the relations between the tracks. But basically, it's almost two points of a triangle merging together and the trains are coming on that converging plan. The impact of the collision caused the front two coaches of train 1 Lima 53 and the rear two coaches of 1 Foxtrot 302 derail. So after the collision, both trains continued some distance into the tunnel before they came to a stop. Uh, 13 passengers, one member of rail staff requiring treatment in hospital and significant damage to the trains and railway infrastructure involved. That investigation is looking to identify the sequence of events which led to the accident, and it's also going to consider the level of wheel-rail adhesion present on the approach to the junction, the status and the performance of the braking, wheel-slide protection and sanding systems, um, as well as this is going to look at the behaviour of both trains during and following the collision. Going to look at Southwestern Railway's policies relating to low um, railhead adhesion, Network Rail's policy relating to, no, to low wheel-rail adhesion, and how it managed the risk of low adhesion in this area, and also the processes used to assess and control the risk of overrun at the signal there. If you can tell from all of that, they're incredibly clear that they're aware that this incident has something to do with railhead adhesion, um, you know, the wrong type of leaves, that sort of thing. There was actually an interim report that was issued in February of this year, so we do know that the movement of one Foxtrot 30 was being protected from the other train so one tr the, the train that crashed into the side of it did definitely pass through a red signal at danger and then get past it by another 200 meters just prior to the collision then there was analysis uh, that's been done already on the on-train data recorded at the otdr that's showing that the driver initially applied service brakes to slow the train on the approach and after about 12 seconds stuck the emergency in because it's clear he wasn't stopping then hit the TPWS grid for the signal, the system went, you ain't stopping, and then did another demand, an automatic demand for emergency braking. Didn't make a difference because it was already in emergency braking. Um, so it didn't prevent the train from reaching the junction and the collision occurred. They also showed that wheel sliding was present when the driver applied service braking and after the emergency braking was demanded. So almost certainly the result of low adhesion between the rails, the rails and the wheels. It's a really important report, very, very crucial, very key to, 
to the industry, especially when leaf fall season is such a chaotic time anyway, and so many concessions are being made. You've got network rail running the railhead treatment trains up and down the left and right, and it's just very important to see where this one goes, not least because it's one of the first collisions between two moving trains in many years. So it's definitely something we're going to cover once the full report is issued, and in depth and in detail, I'm not going to do it off the back of the interim because I want to have the full the full findings of the full report because I think that's what makes this podcast work is that we have all that to hand. Anyway, watch this space for that one. That concludes our brief rundown of current investigations, and I'm sure that we will discuss all of them, even if they're not going to be worthy of a full signals episode, we're going to be discussing them in these roundups as and when those reports drop in. Right, so all that remains to be discussed this time out is an update to the accident at Carmont or Stonehaven, as many people out there know it. I'm not going to throw out a big rundown of what happened there, as we did a fairly comprehensive three-part episode last year. If you haven't listened to that, please go back and listen to it. I'm actually fairly proud of that one. I really, really, really did deep dive in as much as possible. One thing we did discuss there was that while the RAIB doesn't exist to apportion blame and responsibility, there are other bodies which do that, especially when lives are lost or serious injuries sustained. In Scotland, this sort of thing is the responsibility of the prosecutor fiscal. Alongside the RAIB investigation, another joint investigation had been taking place involving participation from Police Scotland, British Transport Police, the Office of Rail and Road, all taking place under the direction of the Crown Office and the Procurator Fiscal Service. Unsurprisingly, for those who have followed this incident, the that investigation found that Network Rail failed to ensure its contractor, Carillion, constructed the drain at Carmont in accordance with the approved design. Also found that the companies in Network Rail had not inspected the whole drain since its construction, with only an inspection of the lower part taking place in 2020. It also found that Network Rail's route control staff had not been comprehensively trained to effectively analyse weather forecasts or how to use all available weather data resources. So the outcome of this investigation is that at the start of September, a court case was heard in Aberdeen relating to the accident, the defendants being Network Rail, the body that's responsible for the infrastructure and the signalling of trains. Network Rail was on the stand, answering a charge of contravention of Sections 3 and 33 of the Health and Safety at Work, etc. Act for its part in the accident. Understandably, and probably as everyone really expected and did likely the decent thing to do, Network Rail has pleaded guilty to that charge and has been handed down a fine of £6.7 million for its part in the incident. It's interesting to say that while circumstances around the accident are probably fairly well explained at this this juncture with the REIB's comprehensive industry investigation and then this joint investigation, including the ORR and BTP, Police Scotland, etc., etc., there is not the end of the legal process. There is an extra step. So following the conclusion of the criminal proceedings, the Crown Office and the Procurator Fiscal Service are now going to begin the process for a fatal accident inquiry. That's a component of Scottish law that is to fully examine the circumstances surrounding the deaths of Brett McCulloch, Donald Dinian and Christopher Stuckbury, identify the lessons that can be learned and help to avoid such incidents happening in the future. It probably fits the 
the, the English equivalent of a, a coroner's inquest. Speaking after the case was heard, Ian Prosser, His Majesty's Chief Inspector of Railways, said our deepest sympathies remain with the families of Donald Dinney, Brett McCulloch and Christopher Stuckbury. We noticed today's proceedings at the High Court in Aberdeen, which followed a multi-agency investigation by Police Scotland, BTP, the Office of Rail and Road, and under the direction of etc, etc, saying etc, etc a lot, but there's a lot of repeating here. Network Rail has made progress in implementing these safety recommendations that came from reviews of the failings that contribute to the accident. However, as highlighted in our 2023 annual ORR Health and Safety Report, there remains much work to do as we all contend with the effects of climate change on our network. We must never forget what happened three years ago, and we require the industry to be unrelenting in its work to maintain Britain's railways as one of the safest in Europe. Well, do you know what, Mr. Prosser? I don't think I could have phrased that last bit better myself. And that brings us to the end of this REIB roundup. It's still a new concept, so any feedback on the old socials is very much appreciated. And you know what? Interaction of any nature is appreciated, even if you just want to criticise what I'm doing. Find me on Twitter, Facebook, search for Signals to Danger or Daniel Fox Rail. And you know what? If email is your scene, you can also get hold of me at daniel.fox at dfrailmedia.com. For those of you who like tat, don't forget we have merchandise now. And if supporting us in other ways is your thing, you can also find us over on Patreon. The details of those things are going to be in the social media posts promoting this episode and most of them. I really am keep trying to keep up steam, sorry, on this. But a big thank you actually required to Mrs. Signals for continuing to put that rocket up my, well, you know what I mean. That's it from me. Once again, until next time you hear my voice, travel safe. <laughs>